May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, we get a chance to talk about a study looking at the impact of podcasts on those living with invisible illnesses. Here's some data on podcasts in general from Buzzsprout. There are over 4 million podcasts in the world. The majority of Americans aged 12 to 54, that's 53%, have listened to a podcast in the last month, and roughly 79% are familiar with the medium. 75% of the U.S. population over 12 have listened to online audio in the last month, and 38% of those ages 12 and up are monthly podcast listeners. On average, podcast listeners tune in to eight different shows per week. 80% of listeners listen to all or most of every podcast episode they start, and they subscribe to an average of six shows. I'm so glad for all of you who have been listeners of this podcast and really appreciate that. And also for you, if you are new, I hope that the podcast episodes, both the past and the future episodes, will be helping you on your journey to live better with fibromyalgia and related problems. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. And now on to this week's episode. I'm so glad to have two special guests to the podcast. There's Professor Melanie Finney, who is a mentor professor working with Kate Peterson, who has a study that she spearheaded to help understand and support those who are living with invisible illnesses and conditions. I'm a senior at DePaul University, so I'm doing undergraduate studying communication, and I plan to have a career somewhere in the business world after I graduate. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Kate, starting with you, what was your inspiration for in the world of invisible illnesses? Yeah, so my sister was diagnosed with a chronic invisible illness called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And I've seen her struggle with that basically her whole life, been really invested in that. And my family actually started a nonprofit to raise funds for research about POTS because POTS doesn't have a cure. And through that nonprofit, we started a podcast And I got into podcasts a few years ago. I think they're really interesting, a great way to learn and connect with people. And so Dr. Finney and I have been working on research, analyzing if podcasts function as a form of social support for individuals living with those chronic illnesses. We created a 56-item survey examining that, a combination of both open-ended and multiple-choice questions. And we analyzed 
105 responses from that and found a variety of different things. For example, we found that 97% of respondents experienced social isolation because of their illness, and 90% reported listening to podcasts actually helps them feel less isolated. Yeah, I think one of the challenges of doing this kind of research was in soliciting subjects and individuals to participate. And because we also had to do it within the confines of DePaul University's Institutional Review Board. And so that was a challenge for us. And so Kate and I brainstormed about the number of different kinds of chronic illnesses or invisible illnesses. And we made some choices about what not to include. And then Kate contacted how many? 39, 30? I think so. 39. Yeah, 39 different podcasts and only nine were able to participate and assist us. And so we were really at the mercy of these podcasts to announce the study and to tell people about it. And so we were pretty pleased that we were able to get over 100 subjects. Yeah, that's quite a response. When you mention many people feel that they're alone and people who are listening to the podcast are struggling. And my goal with the podcast is for those who are struggling with invisible illnesses, but also for their loved ones who have not themselves experienced these struggles, but are trying to help understand and help support their loved ones better. And it's also for the medical community and other providers to grow in their understanding of what it's like to be living with these. 97% of people felt isolated because of their illness. Was there any further questions that helped expand on that? Yeah, we also asked what the causes were of the isolation. And 53 people reported that they felt that there was a lack of understanding by their friends or their family or their employees. 45 people said that there was a lack of regular social interaction. And then it went on down with some other things. One interesting finding was about a fifth of the subjects reported that they did not feel that their medical professionals provided enough or really understood what they were going through. And for example, somebody said, I've been bedridden and housebound for the last eight years because of my illness. I have to live in solitude, rarely interacting with my careers because it makes my illness dangerously worse. It's been almost impossible to receive health care because health care providers will rarely offer home health care. And I haven't found any health care professionals that are educated on my illness. So I have to educate them. And I'm often faced with stigma, discrimination, and harmful, inappropriate advice. It's the same for the general population. I feel isolated by my illness every single day. Those were some pretty startling kinds of comments that we read that people had reported the extent of the isolation that they felt. That was one of the findings that we found about the isolation. Kate, why did they turn to podcasts? They found them the most helpful and accessible out of different forms of communication, including face-to-face, interactions with a loved one, with medical professionals, online support groups. They found podcasts to be the most helpful and accessible for both of those. And I think part of that was because they could do it on their own time. They didn't have to leave. They could do it when it was convenient for them. And it was helpful. 
and accessible, as Kate said. So that was one of the other findings that we had about the isolation and why they turned to podcasts in the beginning. I had somebody who saw me recently and started talking about her story. She was told by the conventional medicine that essentially all the labs were normal and you're probably fine or maybe a fibro, but not a lot of good advice or action and found somebody who said, oh, you have chronic Lyme after about 15 years of antibiotics and not really getting better, but at least somebody who actually listened to them. One of her clients said, you should see Dr. Lenz. He's a nice guy. Came in and she was telling me her story was very timid, expecting that I was going to be like a typical doctor. She had not listened to any of my podcasts. She hadn't read my book. She didn't know anything about me. And about 15, 20 minutes in, I said, just so you know, I believe what all of the stuff you're going through. And I take care of a lot of people who are going through the same thing. Really? You could see the shoulders drop and that there was this acceptance because it's that kind of on guard, ready to defend and ready to be stigmatized. And here we go. What's the chance that there is a doctor actually here? And I, towards the end of a visit, especially in the beginning, I'll say, uh, maybe a first visit, I'll say, you're not that special. And then they smile because they're like, so you see people like me and that are going through this. And of course, they're extremely special, but it can feel like you're the only one that's going through this. And that just adds to it. Any other insights that you gleaned from this? Yeah, going off of that, we studied the motivations for listening to the podcast and we found three major motivations informational support, desiring connection, and emotional support. So that goes hand in hand with what you just said about how they feel alone and they didn't know that other people were like them. So they turned to podcasts to find a community, to find connection with other people who share that illness. And they also turned to them to find information that maybe their doctors might not have so they can learn a bit more about their chronic illness. And then also for emotional support to feel like someone cares about you. Now, do you mind sharing some of her story? Yeah. So she got sick after having mono and she just never recovered. And at that point, I think I was seven years old and she was nine. So very young. And my mom teaches biology. So she was asking all of her friends, going to different doctors, asking like what's going on with my kid. And so we went to a lot of different specialists. It took nine months to get a diagnosis. And we're pretty lucky because. In Ohio, we have Cleveland Clinic, so they know about POTS and dysautonomia. A lot of people take longer than nine months to be diagnosed, but in those nine months, it was really scary. My sister kept getting worse and worse, and we really didn't know what was going to happen. Every weekend, they were scheduling out appointments with different specialists and doctors and trying to figure out what's going on. Just coming out of all of that, she wrote and I illustrated a book telling that story that we would sell to our friends, to family, hand them out at doctor's offices, just so people get a better awareness of what POTS is, because it's a lot more common than you think. And then after that, someone suggested that we start a nonprofit for this. Ever since then, we've had a 5K every year in the fall to help raise funds and just to give POTS patients a community. And yeah, so that's been a big motivation for the nonprofit. Creating a book probably wasn't intended to be therapeutic. Was there some unintended therapy for your sister and 
putting her story together. Yeah, I think it made it more tangible for her because when you're so young and you don't know what's happening, having it written down helps you process and understand it. And then also being able to use that book to raise money to donate and to do something good with the terrible thing that happened to you. I think that was a big factor for her. Yeah, I think these are often very big struggles and we're trying to learn more and more about this. I think these are all similar names under the umbrella of fibromyalgia related illnesses. They just have different maybe emphases, but often there's a lot of frustration when, and often what happens is people get bounced from specialist to specialist and aren't getting a cohesive. And that's where getting this information out there is helpful. Any other insights that you got from the study? Not really. One of the things that we looked at was the concept of parasocial relationships, which is the idea that people think they have a personal relationship with somebody that they don't really know. For example, I watch SVU and I feel like I know Olivia Benson, okay, but I really don't. And she doesn't know me. But we were wondering if there was some kind of connection with the host. And that was part of the explanation about why people feel so connected. And we found that there is a parasocial relationship. We found that people felt a connection with the podcast host. We also found that people reported they had a connection with the show itself. Those were separated out. There were two differences there. And so we were hoping that we would find a relationship that the more connected people were, that they felt they had a parasocial relationship with the host, that they would consider that to be a form of emotional support. The surprising thing was we didn't find that. What we did find was a pretty strong correlation between people who felt they had a connection with the host and informational support received. Then later, upon further analysis, we found that informational support received and emotional support were highly correlated. So even though there wasn't a direct correlation between the parasocial relationship between the podcast host and emotional support, it got there in a roundabout way, that there was support, informational support, and then that by itself was correlated with emotional support. So that really opens up some implications or suggest some implications about the importance of having a podcast host that you can trust, that you believe cares about you, that knows what he or she is talking about, and really works to develop a rapport with their listeners. And so we thought that was a pretty interesting finding. Yeah. Thanks for those insights. Having somebody that you can trust. And is giving good information. I think when I entered this world of fibromyalgia and related issues, which in a sense, I've always been interested in that. My mom, who's in heaven now, died of pancreatic cancer two, over two years ago. She was listening about a couple months before she died, before she would get pretty sick pretty quickly. But she listened to my book and was reading it. And she said, I'm pretty sure Aunt Lonnie had this. And Aunt Lonnie was somebody that my mom had always over the years been nurturing, caring, was struggling with these overlapping things with depression and fibro and pain and all of these things. And there weren't those podcasts back then. There wasn't information out there. So often you were feeling like you're the only one going through this. 
And part of what inspired me was there would be some books that were pretty good in this world, like 80%, and then 20% was, and I'm selling a supplement at the end to try to get you. And it's, I think a lot of time there's a lot of predatory things that happen that people are desperate and taking advantage. So when I have had a lot of good success with my patients, like, what's the catch? What's the catch? And I'm like, there is no catch, but it's really just trying to help my patients. And that was the initial thing. And when you're talking about detailed things, I don't need to give you an explanation how Bactrim works for killing bacteria for your urinary tract infection or penicillin. If you're interested in, I would have looked it up, but you're like, am I going to get better? Yeah. I'm going to get better. Okay. What are the side effects? Good. I'm better. And three days later, I forget about it. But these are really complicated illnesses. So having a lot of good information from a trusted uh, source uh, can be helpful. Any other thoughts that you have, Kate? You can tell you're thinking about some things. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Yeah, just going off of the parasocial relationship, like we were asking respondents if they feel the host is someone they can trust. 74% said yes. We asked them if the host knows the kind of information that they want to know and 94% said yes and for example one respondent she wrote in an extended response answer I've never met the host yet I feel like she's a friend willing to help me with my struggles so that just demonstrates the impact that the host has on their listeners and so that's how we define a parasocial relationship that idea that I feel like they care about me or I feel like I know them that there is a connection there. And I'm on the fly doing podcasting because my brother did a podcast for his work he was at. And I'm like, so I wrote a book, finished it in COVID. And my wife's, you're done now, right? You're not. And I'm like, sure. And then six months later, I'm going to try starting this podcast because it gives me an extension of my visit. And I can say here, I don't have enough time to cover everything. Here's some episodes. Consider listening to this later while you're folding laundry and driving to work and let these things process because there is so much, especially when it's a multifaceted understanding and approach and hopefully adding to that. So your mom is the podcast host, Kate, right? Along with someone else typically hosts the podcast. I guess makes for hosts like myself want to continue to do that and provide good content. I'm always trying to know what people are interested in. And I think a lot of times people like hearing some of these stories. I did an episode titled Living with Fibros Like Living on a Narrow Bookshelf Between Two Narrow Bookends. And I think a lot of people identified she was a very good storyteller and sharing her story and how to learn to live better. And she became the self-expert. But at the same time, I also am sharing stories of people who are struggling. Awareness Month was in May. And I had two other stories of listeners who are struggling. So you, you sometimes, if all you hear is everybody's doing well, then you can't relate either that it's cherry picking or can I see you? I can't because you're in Colorado or a, a different state and I'm in Wisconsin. So we don't do video visits out of the area. So 
you know anybody who does this kind of stuff? Hopefully they can listen to the podcast and learn. That's the balance of this. But any other thoughts that you guys have? We had an open-ended question at the end and asked the people that participated, is there anything else you want us to know or anything that you can tell us? And one statement that came up a couple of times was, or more than a couple of times, was we wish it were a little more interactive. We like the podcast, but it's difficult for us to respond back to the host. And so we talked a little bit about that. I think one of the challenges is it's not like the people that are doing these chronic illness, invisible illness podcasts have a huge crew that works for them. And so they can't have somebody monitor phone calls and things like that. But that was one of the things that I think if podcast hosts wanted to provide a forum for people to type in responses or offer feedback, like they do on YouTube, where you can comment on the video, something like that. I think that would help people feel like there is another place where their voice is being heard, not just a passive kind of listening. And for, and that's really good to hear. I share, hey, I'd love to hear your feedback. And I'll hear occasionally people respond. Don't get tons of emails, even though I have a lot of people who are are listening. And maybe they're just taking it in. Oh, I'm listening and I'm not, why would I want to respond? I'm just taking it all in. But that almost gets into that. Should I do that occasional webinar and how do I connect and trying to do that and do that in a Facebook setting, getting involved in those different uh, areas, then YouTube makes it a little harder because you can't just upload your podcast. You have to have a visual. So taking that extra work, I'm doing this as a one person show. So it's like trying to do that in the whole world of things. But that is the exciting thing, actually, the interactions to have people who want to communicate and connect. So having feedback more than just an email, maybe a direct kind. I've contemplated, and this would be a lot more effort, but of sometimes having the, I don't know that one of the fibromyalgia podcasts, I think she does sort of a freemium model where you sign up and then you get coaching. That's always a questionable for me as a medical doctor, because how much specific advice can I give as a doctor to somebody who's not my patient? So it's always that disclaimer. And I'm learning when I do the podcast, I try to talk less and let my hosts and my guests speak more and share their story and share their information that they have. So I can to help me learn uh, to be better. There's so much I've learned in doing the podcast because when you're doing something, you want to be making sure the content's good and you want to be researching these things. So there's a lot in this whole world. And what we're learning is that there's a huge overlap of autism spectrum with these fibromyalgia syndromes. So sometimes the stress is mono. Sometimes it's a job that is a mismatch and there's these autism burnout and then it manifests in different uh, cardiovascular functioning and it expresses in different ways. Some people get flushed, some people get IBS flare up, some people have blood pressure regulations, feel lightheaded, overwhelmed and fatigued. But I didn't know that two years ago. Don't even talk about it directly in my book, but it's getting that information out there. But so it's just a fascinating world with a lot of these overlapping things. So I get the chance to hear these experts and then it's like, oh, I didn't realize. And Lynn from Minnesota, a listener who's the one who lives between a, a bookends on a narrow bookshelf, 
And she's, I have to have structure. I have to have routine. I have learned that I have all of these things that I need. I need to eat healthy. I have to go to bed at the same time. And that helps her feel better. And people hearing that, oh, okay, I can relate, but I guess... Honey, see, I'm not the only one who needs routine and structure to feel healthy and normal and have all of those things. There's a Lynn from Minnesota, and she's learned to live well. And when your way of experience the world is different, not better, it's uniquely human. Everybody's got their own different ways. I'm a pediatrician and an internist, but that whole understanding of it's more than the four-year-old boy who's not speaking very much. And there's a whole nother... That's just a tip that gets recognized in the, I don't know if that's talked much about in the communication world. It is just starting. We have a, an entire branch of health communication, and I would say it's only been in the last five to 10 years that area has started really grappling with these issues about different ways of perceiving the world and how that affects our communication and our relationships. Any last thoughts before, as we wrap up here? Kate, I'll pass it to you. I don't have any additional comments right now, but. I guess just thank you for releasing the survey to your listeners and thank you to everyone who filled out the survey. It's really helpful for us to have those responses and be able to analyze those to come up with some results. I use the metaphor all the time of living with invisible illnesses is like being bound blindfolded and tortured by an unknown assailant for unknown reasons without any recourse for getting away and part of this is just to be able to take off the blindfold and help and understand and help support people as in as many ways as they can i hope you have found this week's episode insightful if you have hit the like follow button if you haven't already done so leave a rating and review and share this with others that way more people can learn about how to live better with fibromyalgia until next week go Hi, bro.